Hello and welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of July 3rd, 2019. I'm your host, Sean Higgins, and on today's show, we have a very special guest, the leader of the American Downhillers and genuinely one of the nicest guys you could ever meet, the U.S. Ski Team, Steve Nyman. I was able to sit down with Steve at his home in Park City in between his workouts and his dad time with his two-year-old daughter, Nell, and we talked about everything from his humble beginnings at the small Sundance Mountain Resort in Utah, his plans for the coming season, to how he approaches his role as the veteran of the team and mentor for the up-and-coming racers climbing the ladder of the U.S. ski team. And at 37 years old, we also talk a little bit about that big R word, retirement. I think you'll really enjoy the conversation, so be sure to stick around. You won't want to miss it. But before we get on to today's show, I would like to take just a little bit of time to highlight some of the recent pieces published on SkiRacing.com. Staff writer Mackenzie Moran wrote a great piece on the U.S. women's speed team and how they are looking to rebuild following a string of retirements and injuries that has left the team pretty thin compared to years past. In the 2012 season, each woman on the team stood on a World Cup podium and the United States finished first in the Nations Cup standings in downhill and Super G. An unfortunate string of injuries in the last year left only one American woman on the World Cup speed circuit by the end of the season, 2017 World Junior Downhill gold medalist Alice Merriweather. But as McKenzie puts it, the team may have shrunk in size but not in strength. So don't be so quick to write off the American women's chances this season. I attempted to answer what I thought would be a simple question. Do late bloomers really exist in ski racing? We've all heard the stories of how Ted Ligeti and Lindsey Vaughn went from unremarkable skiers at their home clubs to Olympic gold medalists. Sport development has become so scientific and data-driven in recent years that the concept of an underdog in ski racing was something that really fascinated me. It turns out that the answer to that question is a little more complicated than you might think and has a lot to do with what you yourself consider to be a late bloomer. It's officially summer ski season and backshop contributor Todd Carroll has your guide to effectively test equipment wherever you are skiing this summer. Carroll and Rosignol National Race Director Jake Stevens explain how the three biggest factors to a successful test are consistency, venue, and timing. Are you testing skis as effectively as you should be? You'll have to check out Todd's piece to find out. Mackenzie recently took a look at the Mammoth Lakes Crib, a high-altitude training destination available to elite-level athletes in the outdoor sports mecca of Mammoth, California. The Crib has a cool program going for it, and it's worth taking a look at if you take your off-season training as seriously as some of the best athletes in the world do. Contributor Edie Thies Morgan wrote a great piece on how Sugar Bowl Academy's 2019 graduating class honored the life of classmate and friend Max Burkhardt. Burkhart tragically lost his life following a crash at a Noram downhill in Lake Louise, Canada in 2017 and would have walked with this year's graduating class. Lastly, Mackenzie profiled rising Italian speed star Nicole DeLago this week. A team already known for its tenacity and colorful spirit, the 23-year-old DeLago has managed to set herself apart from her teammates thanks to some strong results early in her young career, including her first podium last season in Valgardena, which just happens to also be her home hill. To read all of these stories and much, much more, head on over to SkiRacing.com. Coming up after a quick break will be my interview with Steven Nyman. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. 
From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. All right, now we'll get you back to the show. All right, welcome back to Tips and Tales, and I'm sitting down with... The big man himself, captain, unofficial captain, I guess, of the American Downhillers, Mr. Steve Nyman. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Bryce is closing in on me. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Awesome. We were talking a little bit before we started recording. You've been getting up early, doing some mountain biking, doing some water skiing. How's the summer been so far for you? Uh, summer in Utah has been a little slow coming, but um, it's good. It's fun now. It just got hot like three days ago and went water skiing, Willie Ford former Pac man he takes some people out here and he took me out and uh I brought a wetsuit and he jumped right in without and I was like oh man I don't want to do this and it really wasn't that cold I, I went just shorts proud of myself mm-hmm. yeah, there's still quite a bit of snow up high here so I'd imagine those lakes around here are still pretty chilly oh yeah I went uh hiking up to Shadow Lake the other day here in Park City and the snow right on the shadow, the the shore of that thing, and I usually get my GPS, and you can follow it on Strava. I go up, and then I'll swim across the lake. If you zoom in, I think it's just kind of funny if people do that thing. And uh, I jumped in, and I said, "I'm just taking a dip. I'm not swimming across this thing right now. It's freezing." Yeah. So talking a little bit more about that, I mean, skiers are known for for spending almost all summer in the gym, but you are a guy who does like to get out, do some water skiing, do some mountain biking. What are some of your favorite non-gym, non-ski-related uh, activities in the summertime? Um, I mean, I think everybody's in the gym, but a lot of people do stuff outside of the gym. Uh, the main reason is is the endurance aspect. If you actually think about what we do, we're on the hill for five, six hours sometimes. So uh, you need to have that endurance for that sort of thing not just the endurance to finish a two and a half minute downhill in Vengen. It's, it's, there's other aspects and it aids in recovery for all the work we do inside the gym. But just outside of the gym, I like challenging myself in different manners. Uh, I grew up mountain bike racing, so um, I'm good at that, but it's, it's just a way I can get out. I like the looking ahead, the coordination, uh, picking the line, trusting the line and, and moving with the bike. But Water skiing is, yeah, it's skiing, but it's different. It's really leany. It's it's a, it's a total different movement pattern. So, challenging myself in different ways like that. I like uh, playing basketball with the guys. Uh, my tennis game sucks, but it's fun to work on sometimes. Um, anything that is is challenging is is fun for me. Uh, get out, stand up paddle down the rivers. I, I like that. You got to look ahead, pick look at the current pick the current and like move with it you got to be faster than the water if you relax and aren't paddling the water can like flip you around and spin you so um challenging yourself kind of under fatigue through paddling really really hard in the water and then balancing is, is similar to skiing skiing's just all it is is balancing on a thin metal edge on a sheet of ice so um going 90 miles an hour 
<laughs> but uh, that's that's the way I like looking at uh, what we do on the snow, what I do for an occupation. Awesome. I don't know, uh, Ted's a big tennis player. Do you ever get some tips from Ted Ligeti on the court? Uh, I am so far below Ted. He wouldn't even entertain me playing him. <laughs> it's pretty, it's like, I mean, nothing against Jared, but it's pretty much like me and Jared Goldberg. <laughs> we're, we're just a bunch of hacks, but it's fun. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your season last year. It was uh, you, you escaped more or less unscathed. You took a couple races off to a little bit of a, a concussion you suffered in Vengen. How would you kind of summarize last season were you disappointed in it were you would you see it as a building year because of all the, the the serious injuries you've been coming back from over the last couple seasons last year definitely was a building year um to, to kind of make it easy i guess in, in the summer we weren't given a lot of great training conditions uh i had really actually good conditions in new zealand but it was very short didn't really get to ski much speed but i was skiing good gs and then we went to chile and i just it was horrible snow. I was like a deer on ice and I was not fast. And I was really questioning what's up. Maybe this is it, you know? And then, uh, come race season, I just started skiing well. And a lot of our stuff, a lot of the Fisher equipment is similar in that way. It's not made for, um, softer, easier snow. We make it for the world cup. And I always tell myself, trust yourself. If it's soft, it doesn't work. Wait till you get to the World Cup. But when it's hard and it doesn't work, then there's probably something wrong with me. Um, and that's what happened on the World Cup. And it was cool. You could see guys, Max Franz, Vinny Kriegmeier, both crushing it right off the bat. Bryce and myself as well. Um, and I feel like we have some strong stuff. But to kind of go somewhere else, we decided to develop some skis for those summer times when it's soft. And... and and so we won't get so frustrated. So we got that done this spring, and I'm stoked to get training this summer. Um, but back to the season, um, it started off well, and and it was kind of fun the way it started off because I think I was just ahead, no, I was just ahead of Bryce. Then Bryce and I tied in uh, Beaver Creek, and then Bryce was just ahead of me in Gardena, and. I think after the first three races of the season, we had the same exact time <laughs> or placing or World Cup points or something like that. Ryan Cochran Siegel calculated all this. He'd inform us. But, um, and it's, it's fun to have him next to me and to have him push me and finally have somebody next to me to help develop the equipment. And, and it's somebody that's similar in stature. And so we can really trade ideas and, and give good feedback. Uh, the funny thing about the season is my technician was Leo Musi. He was pretty much ready to move on. Thought this was my last year. Thought it was the last hurrah. And, and the season started. He had a deal actually ready to go over to the Swiss for some young kids. And uh, the season started and he was like, oh, the boys are good. Maybe I stay with the U.S. <laughs> so... Um, I'm, I'm psyched he's staying with us and uh, giving it another go. Awesome. And I think, obviously, I never never raced World Cup downhill, but being around it for the last handful of years, there's 
there's people who can ski, but there's people who are confident and consistent, and those are the guys who get it done on race day. Someone like Bayat Foytz or Axel in his heyday, and you before you started having all these injuries. Do you feel like you were struggling to get that confidence and consistency back last season? Uh, the season before, for sure. Last season, I was 11th the first race, the 9th and 5th. Like, that's one of the most consistent starts of a season I've ever had. Um, and, and showing that I could still hang, and I, I definitely didn't have the preparation I wanted. Um, I definitely didn't have the confidence inside of me. Uh, I had some great training runs in Bormio. I could have kept that going. I hit a rock during that race. Um, and then I knocked myself in Bengen. But uh, I had a lot of momentum and I had a lot of confidence that built quickly throughout the season. Um, but right now, this summer, training-wise, my body's been reacting way better than it has. It's, it's, it's actually building and, and, and adapting to the things I'm, the stimulus I'm putting through it to where I'm really psyched for this winter. And um, if, if things continue to move the way that they move, I feel like I can compete at the top and consistently compete at the top. Uh, to me, my best races were always when I arrived and laid it down the first training run and laid it down every single training run and just kept pushing. Um, and some guys are that way. Foyt's definitely not. He starts slow and then always knocks a second off and a second off. And uh, if he starts fast, you're like, uh-oh, it's on for Foyt's. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it all comes, it's all a building process. It all comes from preparation. It all comes from uh, the work that starts in April, essentially. Mm -hmm. and, and looking ahead to this coming season, are you approaching it any different because you aren't coming off of any major injuries there's no olympics or worlds no added pressure of a big metal event like that or do you approach a season like this like any other i feel like it's always the same um i used to think that we used to talk about peaking but to me it's more about maintenance uh to me it's more about a title uh, a season-long title anything can happen in one day and anybody can win those big races but if if you can comp perform day in and day out throughout the season uh, that's that's something that is admirable and that's something that I uh, aspire for it, when when you talk about peaking uh, yes maybe there's taken a race off before the Olympics or something like that or staying safe but that's that's what I did after I hit my head in Bengen I was just like can do Kitzbühel. I inspected Kitzbühel and I was like, no way. Like, I can see what I need to do, but I feel so slow. I, there's no way I'm going to react. This is suicide if I go down this thing. And then I just have had such a history with Garmisch the past few years. I just said, I don't even want to deal with that. Let's focus at Worlds. And uh, luckily, Garmisch was canceled. And Worlds, I, I really didn't get much training, didn't get much skiing, got to Worlds was hopping into the training course there and was just pathetic in Super G. <laughs> but then I had my best Super G result ever in, in, in uh, the World Champs. So uh, it, was, it was really, really cool to pick myself up and, and move forward after something like that in the middle of the season. To me, I've adapted uh, just my whole entire program 
around longevity and a lot of guys fly back and forth fly home um, try and take that time off but that time off isn't really time off if you're flying home so I move my family over there I enjoy Europe I, I live there I have a base I feel like a human I actually wash my clothes and cook my own food I'm not waiting on somebody at a hotel all the time and and I feel accomplished with those simple matters you know and that that I think keeps me sane and keeps us sane but also just having my family around brings a big balance to my uh, life and career um, especially at this point so I it, it, the longevity it's it's a game you always have to play and that's something I learned through time and with how old I am like when I was young and when I first started winning and all these opportunities arose it was just like I'm going here there there there, there. I didn't understand the the concept of rest and I think that's something on the ski team a lot of the kids don't really understand it's they're they're constantly go 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 we're all athletes we're all little golden retrievers trying to run after whatever we can but it's it was uh, Andy Evers who came to us several years ago. He's just like, you need to rest. Like, you do this and you do nothing. And and once he kind of really put that on me, I was like, oh, this is really nice. And it actually gives me time to put my life in balance outside of ski racing. <laughs> so um, instead of entertaining my time or using my time with something physical, I'll, I'll use it for other things. And lately it's been fixing my house is <laughs> learning carpentry skills and kind of looking at at the your world cup career as a whole the bulk of your success has come in downhill but last year in particular you came from an unranked skier in super g and now you're ranked top 30 in the world you were eighth at the world super g which i believe was your career best super g result has that how has adding more super g or becoming a more proficient super g skier helped in other events a lot of that is from uh can't go in that position <laughs> gotta keep the legs straight that's all right a lot of a lot of my performance in super g has been from uh i think just the base of gs and with a lot of my injuries that have happened over the years like I have to start from zero and I have to start from a very low level simple GS base and I think that's translated into my super G also we've put a big focus towards the skis I, I Creekmire has been fast on the skis but I, I just didn't understand the tempo of the skis and didn't trust them and we came out with a new model that I just like I, f I feel at one with it I, I understand the tempo I know how things are going to react and I grew up a very good super G skier but um, I've only had a couple top tens on the World Cup so this year having consistently scored in pretty much every super G I entered and then and starting from the back was was big uh, and just missing out on finals by one point so um, I'm I'm really happy with the way things are moving and that's something I really want to build upon next year. And you touched a little bit on how having your family with you on the road has kind of put a lot of things into perspective for you. Your daughter Nell is now two. How has dad life changed you both on the World Cup and, and here at home? Um, 
it takes me away actually like you can you can get into these races and you can be immersed in all the show that's going on or or, or in your own thoughts or your your brain cinema my technician likes calling it you can you can be tossed around in that but when I get with Nell I just pay attention to her and I don't think about skiing I'm just reading books or conversing with her and it's and it's fun and it just takes me away and I don't spin myself into a, a hole if if things are tough um but my wife's also amazing it it's understanding when it's too much and she can take her away and and give me the space that I do need when I do need it um and I'm I'm excited to ski especially this year because she has an understanding of what I am doing and I think she'll remember a lot of what she's going to see even though she is too like it's it's crazy for her to like she still speaks German randomly (laughs) which is funny to me so um if she can remember those experiences for the rest of her life and just have those faint little memories in the back of her head that's that's worth it to me but um it's just a cool experience and it's a cool experience for me and my daughter and hopefully Charlotte loves it too (laughs) She seems to. <laughs> and another important relationship you have, I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a father-son relationship, but definitely someone who's very close to you is Bryce Bennett on, on the ski team. Brotherly. Brotherly, yes. Brotherly relationship. What kind of made you two gravitate towards each other when Bryce first made the team? Was it the size? Was it a technique thing? Or or what brought you two together? Um, I just liked him. I liked his attitude. I thought it was funny. I thought he worked hard, um, but he but he kept things fun. And then uh, what I what really attracted me to him was his his background. He grew up racing BMX, and I always told him he'll do well in Gardena. And he went to Gardena. And he was like, "This is cool," but at the time, a ski company, he just wasn't on fast stuff. He wasn't on boots that reacted the way that he needed him to react. And I told him, this works. I designed it for big guys. It's going to work for you if you do it. And then he went to another ski company and didn't work. And then he finally went to Fisher and he was like, whoa, I should have done this a while ago. But then he instantly was scoring. And it was really, really cool to uh, see his rise. And it's been a fast rise. And this year especially, the consistency was very, very impressive. And... I still watch his skiing, and I'm like, he has a lot to improve on, so I think he can consistently win as well. And I enjoy that aspect, just at the age I'm at, being able to be a racer-slash-coach and, and, and helping the guys motivates me and gives me energy. So that's that's really just fun and invigorating for me and and keeps me alive. I mean... We go to the same places. I mean, I've been on the Woke Up Tour since 2005, six, and that's almost 15 years now. <laughs> so you can go to the same places, and it can get old, and it can get monotonous, and or you can look at the different uh, aspects of ski racing and, and really dive deep into those. And right now, it's it's helping the younger crew, and uh, it's also really getting to know the areas and, and having... Uh, that down to look for to go to these places and see the people that you've 
haven't seen in a year and, and uh, experience the, the area and understand the mountains and um, it's just fun, I think. Europe's just a special place for me and, and I just take it in. Mm-hmm. And with you being the veteran of the team, with you kind of mentoring and pushing these younger guys, how do they push you? How do guys like Bryce and Jared push you? Um, I think through questioning their inquisitiveness is something that makes me think sometimes. Um, but obviously their youth, their energy, their, their speed, their willingness to go hard in a lot of different scenarios. Like for me, I'm, I, I don't go too hard in scenarios I'm not comfortable with, but sometimes these guys hammer and, and it makes me constantly question myself and remain humble and don't think I have everything in the bag. It's, uh, I know, hey, I got work to do. And that's, that's just a state of mind I try and stay in um, to, to stay at the top. But I think those guys really help me with that through their energy. Um, skiing's a puzzle, and it's, and it's a constantly shifting puzzle. There's, there's so many dis- different aspects to the sport and, and different avenues you can jut down to, to improve upon. And so just being fully aware and understanding the whole picture is uh, something that I, I enjoy, and it, it doesn't get boring for sure. And, and one thing that always stuck out to me about you when we get the chance to talk after a, a World Cup is how detail-oriented you are. You're able to pick apart runs turn by turn, second by second, and, and replay them in your head and analyze them. Were you always like that, or is that a learned skill over all these years on the World Cup? Um, I think that's something that I've... I think that's something ski racing just develops in you, you know? You got to look ahead. You got to memorize the course. At least for me, I've always been that way. I have to create that conviction in my head and understanding of what I need to do and how I need to do it and where I need to go. And I need to see it and just like know, yeah, if I made a mistake that turn before, I can just shift and get back to online and back to the point like immediately. Um, And that's that's the beauty of ski racing i think there's it it keeps you so aware and and the mountains do that skiing in general does that like you are so minuscule and you can just get slapped to the side in a second so um to me when i first made the world cup tour i i took meticulous notes of every single race i actually found them a little while ago it's cool turn by turn what i feel what i see and and I had a good first year. My first year on the World Cup, I made the World Cup Finals. Um, then my second year, I actually won my first World Cup. But when I started that second year, I was approaching it like last year's, the prior year's races. And I basically just got slapped aside. And it was like, no, this is a complete new canvas. This is something that you need to understand what you did last year but last year doesn't mean anything this is this is a new uh picture you have to paint so um take it what it is worth and and enter with a beginner's mind but also have the wisdom from what you learned last year and once i kind of 
had that mentality that allowed me to not make such dumb mistakes <laughs> like I did. I basically went off a jump the direction I did the year prior, but it was, and I landed on my butt and messed my back up, but um, actually won the race that weekend, but it was, I could barely walk downstairs. It was weird. So, um, yeah, just gaining wisdom. And then I, I, I saw you did a, a, a Q&A with your ski sponsor, Fisher, on Instagram the other day. And a couple a couple questions stuck out to me. Switzerland's Daniel Ewell was giving you a hard time about uh, being jealous of all the slalom skiers. And a lot of people might not know this about you, but you were actually a very accomplished slalom skier, especially when you were a junior. You're world junior championship gold medalist in slalom. How important was that technical base to moving to World Cup downhill and Super G, which are incredibly technically demanding hills. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at you look at the top performers in downhill, Foyt's was top fifteen in GS. Um, I'm sure he has World Junior Technical gold medals. Um, Axel, obviously, Jansrud, uh, Dami. I don't know if he's ever even scored in GS, but he's he's definitely an outsider there an outlier but uh all the top guys have highly proficient technical skills and i bet dom probably was when he was a junior uh i even have world cup slalom points that's kind of cool too but um i basically just had a few weeks where i was so on point in slalom and it was really really cool and um when i made the ski team i made it through slalom uh i qualified for world juniors on the Park City ski team. I wasn't even a development athlete on the U.S. team. I wasn't really invited to anything. But I, I made the World Junior team, and I was on K2 at the time. And I switched over to Fisher. My coach, Mike Day, who coaches Michaela now, was coaching Bodie at the time, said, try these skis. They're pretty impressive. And I got on them here during the 2002 Olympics in Park City and was training with all the Olympians. And I was like, I can beat all these guys. Like, I'm I feel so invincible because I was skiing on inferior stuff and doing well on that. And so I took those skis to Europe and I've won in world juniors in 90 stretch pants and <laughs> in a backwards baseball cap <laughs> or, or billy cap. And uh, I was on the podium and Axel was looking at me, he's like, who are you? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, did you win? Did you have you raced any World Cups? And I said no. And you raced any Europe Cups? No. I've raced a couple Norams. <laughs> you know, it's like how did this kid win this thing? And then I went to World Cup finals and got 15th, and um, that scored me 16 World Cup points, which put me on the B team. And that was that. Um, I still have my those skis down in the garage, which is kind of cool. Keep those forever. Yeah, but uh, the the. The slalom thing, I grew up at a tiny resort. I grew up at Sundance, and that's all we could really do, slalom and GS. And that's pretty much how any other hill is. Uh, and you look at Buck Hill. You read the book, I think it was Outliers, that, that mentions uh, Burke Academy and how they just have a little hill and everybody's riding up the lift watching each other, and it just fosters that, that uh, competitiveness within the group, and so many Olympians have come out of there. Um, that's that's where those skills came about but I also at Sundance they have a front mountain and a back mountain and when you go from the back to the front 
you have to go along this long, slow cat track. And I used to ski a lot with the BYU ski team. And these guys, obviously, they're much bigger than me. And I try and figure out how to glide and keep up with them on these long cat tracks. And and they weighed more, so it was harder to do it. But I think me being one of the best gliders in the world actually comes from those days in my youth of just making those minute movements over and over and over and over again um and yeah it's 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 funny at this age to look back and where did these skills come from yes it came from precise training but also a lot of them are are natural skills and it just comes from being on the mountain and challenging yourself on the mountain and having three brothers that challenged me and pushed me to different heights so um that's that's a big part of who i am and and i'm happy to have experienced it that way Mm -hmm. and what would you say to to a young kid from from one of these small mountains in in the midwest or or here in utah who sees guys like travis and bryce who came from squaw or jared who grew up at snowbird and thinking that oh man like i'm at this tiny mountain there's no way i can ever make it to the world cup and race race kids fuel what do you what would you say to those kids i mean look at Lindsay, buck hill uh kaylin richardson myself i mean eric fisher he came from bogus basin and sundance uh the stevens girls who were on the ski team for a bit they came from sundance it's it's there's a lot of people that come from these little mountains uh you go to europe a lot of these little farm hills are just a t-bar but they raise some of the best skiers in the world um you can get really really creative on the hills and and i think having a mountain that is limited expands your creativity and expands your desire to milk as much out of it as you can but do that and when you have move to an area to find kids that will challenge you that's that's the biggest thing when i went from sundance to park city it was because i needed an a challenge. I was the best at Sundance and that wasn't good enough. Like I, I, I was good, but I saw, all right, 45 minutes away, there's a little nucleus of guys here that are pushing each other and I want to be a part of that nucleus and I want to, uh, be challenged myself. And so every, every training day, it was for one, I'm a competitive person, but two, somebody was always winning and I don't want that guy to beat me or that guy didn't want me to beat him and and having us all push each other and seeing what came out of that a lot of guys made the U.S. ski team and a lot of guys had great collegiate careers from Park City and and kids from all over the nation came here and I was just fortunate and lucky enough that it was kind of my backyard we we really weren't able to afford it um if I had to probably pick up and move somewhere, maybe maybe we would have figured it out somehow. But um, my parents definitely stretched it thin to make it work for me, and it worked out, which is really, really cool. And let's talk a little bit about kind of burnout that a lot of athletes experience, um, whether it's in the gym in the summertime or at the end of a long season. What keeps you motivated day to day to get the grind on and do the work? Um... I think what keeps me motivated is is like trying to keep myself honest. Stepping back and honestly looking at myself and being honest with myself saying, what do you need? How can you get better? 
and do you want to? Um, so I'm not really answering your question because I, I, I always want to get better. There's hard times, like through the injuries, I'm just like, what am I doing sometimes? But, um, I just say, I don't want to go out like that. <laughs> um, but when I, when I step back and I, I look at the whole picture and, and, and paint basically the, the different aspects that I think are critical in succeeding and looking at where I stand and how am I doing on those and then assessing the details of each one of those things and uh, creating a map of how I can become better. That's, that's, that's the thing that it's, it's, it's keeping me honest and keeps me motivated, I guess there's, there's, it's back to the puzzle. It's just like a big puzzle that's always shifting and, and, and you need to figure it out. And it's not like, uh, I mean, I can't compare anything. I mean, basketball is probably just as deep as skiing, but it's, it's on a consistent solid court. Whereas skiing's on varying snow and varying hills and varying sets and, um, varying conditions for guy to guy, varying ski setups, varying suits, varying whatever, you know, varying body types. Skiing's really cool because you got Foyts who's this little bowling ball and you got me and we come down a couple hundreds apart, you know, that's <laughs> during, during, before I crashed, like every race it was Foyts or me right ahead of each other. And we were just like within hundreds of each other. And, uh, I really, I, I look at that and I'm just like, wow, this is, it's funny how skiing isn't limiting. It's not like basketball where you gotta be six, two or six, four or higher, you know, taller. It's any, any body type, any type of person can succeed in skiing. I think. Let's talk a little bit about the, the R word, the retirement. I know you talk. Why'd you smile? Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned a little earlier that you were maybe thinking that this would be your last season. Your servicemen certainly thought that this could be your, this past season was going to be your last season. How often do you think about it? Do you, do you have an age in your mind or a certain accomplishment you want to achieve before you retire? Or is it just a feeling that you'll know when that decision does come? I think it's a feeling I'll know. I think if I focus on the accomplishments, that's going to put a lot of pressure on me. Um, realistically, it's going to just get harder and harder and harder. So it's just going to make me more nervous. So to me, it's, it's just understanding. Luckily I have an understanding of what it takes and, um, knowing, can I still reach that point? And definitely questioning that the past couple of years with the lack of preparation and the big events that I was trying to get to the Olympics that year was just, I was scared every single race I did. And and pretty much any time I trained, it was just like, I'm not even ready. My knee doesn't feel up to this. And then I got hurt. And then last year I was feeling pretty okay physically, but I just didn't have the, the, the depth in that physical, that, that fitness arena to really do the work and the maintenance throughout the season. Like I, I was in pain, like usually I could do a lot of recovery or, 
or maintain my strength through lifting and after a day of skiing woke up I could barely walk down the stairs you know just just was sore and hurt and bending my knees hurt and uh that's one thing I'm being honest with myself this summer it's just like I got to get my knees back to that point that I know that they're going to be at and luckily I have some people helping me and and good training program right now and my body's reacting the way it needs to react but when it comes to retirement it's it's I could step in the gate in Lake Louise and be like well I'm not ready or I could go three more seasons I I I don't know um Cortina is actually really intriguing to me I love Italy I've I've done well in Italy that's where I won my world juniors that's where I've won my world cups I've consistently performed well on that Dolomiti snow um and I've never skied the track there hopefully I dig it and we're gonna race the world cup finals this year but I could go through this year and pull the plug or I could just keep trucking along it's just that self-assessment and being honest with myself is this what I want to do and uh but still I love it I really truly love what I do and I love uh uh, helping guys along the way and I, I love the game it's really fun awesome well Steve thank you so much for coming on the show it was a great discussion I think people really enjoyed listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon hopefully right on thanks Sean alright that is our show for this week thank you so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode see ya <laughs>